0: Welcome, everyone, and uh, good morning, or almost afternoon or whatever, depending on your time zone. Um, I am Jayce Smith. Thank you for joining our photo book book group. I'm very excited about uh, who we are hosting today, Jeff Dyer. And uh, for those of you who are new to the Photobook Book book Group, I started this platform to provide unscripted conversations on concept development and bookmaking. Uh, We speak often with artists, photographers, and sometimes publishers, other times writers uh, like Jeff. And it's really fascinating because we, we have connected people on four continents actually over the course of these discussions and people share ideas, challenges, resources, so you will receive a a summary of our conversation because we're always pulling out information we can't anticipate. So we will gather those kind of resources. Um, Deb Hemley is my right hand person and she will manage our chat. Um, But we're a small enough group that we will definitely be able to just be in regular conversation, um, unmuting yourself and asking questions. Um, The way the photo book book group goes is there's um, some exchange for myself and my guest because I am um thinking a lot about their work before we we get into these conversations. So I try to frame it somewhat. Um, and then and then we go from there. And I usually have a PDF that involves imagery and some quotes, just kind of background. Um, so we'll bop over to that uh, in a minute. And before I introduce Jeff, um, something I learned from India Beal, who is a guest on my show show whatever my my book group um, talks about supporting all of those entities that support contemporary photography from your uh, local museums to publications to nonprofits that are literally Global, um, for very uh, modest fees, you can help support a lot of the work that's happening. So often, I am writing about that. I definitely am sharing about it on social media, and I ask that you do the same. Amplify the work that you see of the people that are amplifying contemporary photography. So uh, think about that and and activate it. So thank you for being here, and I am going to partly read my introduction, which. Um, You'll, you'll, you'll understand when I, when I unpack this. So my author introductions are less defined by the guest's achievements and are more of a, of a combined um, reflection, my inclination. Um, I do a purposeful deep dive into people's work. Um, so it is with unexpected pleasure that I get to be in conversation with a person who I've known solely through their thoughts, shared with me through their writing. I I have I've listened to or read their musings, their observations, critiques, and opinions. Jeff, your work engages me as does the work of contemporary writers on photography such as Teju Cole and David Campany or a million years ago, I was really taken with the writings of Anatole Broyard and Dag Hammarskjold. Those stylistically unique, each of you spark imagination and stir soul. In our unscripted conversation on the photo book book group, I attempt to have a read of the creative process of the person I'm in conversation with. You gave me a lot. to wrestle with. And I'm not going to lie, it was a challenge to provide a frame of reference around your work. Your writing is witty, it's allegorical, it's acerbic, it's deeply referenced, and it's full of aphorisms. Jeff, I share your 2017 New York Times on photography essay with my concept-aware class, and it's on my reading list in my curriculum. The mysteries of our family snapshots. It stopped me in my tracks. First, with your reference to Roland Barthes and his, this is paraphrased, seductive idea of punctum this unintended detail in an image that affects him the most. You'll find I'm a massive BART fan. And with your quote by James Agee, where he likened the camera, and here I quote, to unassisted and weaponless consciousness. End quote. That's awesome. In this essay, you reference other historical and contemporary poets and playwrights. And now, because I've got you here as my audience, I can contest that I do find your family snapshot as an apt equivalent of the Winter Garden photograph. Fun to be able to tell you that. And I've landed on two ways to describe what I think you do in your writing. You allow us to accompany your subjective, and in your case, extremely well-informed, negotiation with yourself as you unfurl meaning, that's one thing. And the other is that you, you use the frame of photography as your portal. So no wonder I'm enamored because you weave with your craft, two of my favorite things, text and image. And I finally understood you are a phenomenologist. <laughs> you study the structure of experience and consciousness. You project expectation and then offer interpretation that makes them explicit. Ironically, you and Bart have something in common. You share the ability to achieve paradox. You write about something that you are doing in your writing, which is what you talk about that he does too. And here I'm quoting yourself about you, but you have this in Seesaw when you write, and this is what I think you contribute to, and this is a quote. A way of seeing has become so widespread as to float free of the person who configured it, part of what George Steiner called the general landscape of awareness. And also, when you were speaking of Geary's work, you described a threshold of the metaphysical located, and I quote, at the strange and mysterious equilibrium between our inner world and the external world, end quote. So I appreciate your grappling with the phenomena of reality and representation from the inside, from the outside, from structure, experience, and exposures. And I do intend the pun. <laughs> Seesaw, now in paperback, is a compilation of essays, articles, books, forewords, and afterwards, a sampling of your work over the last decade. The frame is divided into three sections, encounters, exposures and writers. We learn of over 40 individual photographers, you write about seminal thinkers such as Roland Bart and John Berger. And your references are expansive, including two of my favorite renowned poets like Billy Collins and William Blake. So welcome, Jeff. You really, really gave me a lot to think about in 300 and something pages and all those people, a great deal of of fodder. It was great fun. So welcome. I can't wait to unpack it.
1: Thank you, Sybilla, and thank you all for for coming. It's lovely to be part of this.
0: Thank you. So I didn't know whether to start. I don't really form specific questions. Um, I just kind of run with themes. So I'll, I'll let you know what some of those are. But I'm really tempted, and I won't, I won't steer this with starts. I, I don't want to steer it by starting with quotes from you, but it is so hard not to. It's really, really fun to like just things that I pull out load bearing ability of photography. Like you really have a way that I just have a whole list of these ways in which that you turn phrases. So we can get to that and I will share um, the, the PDF. Why don't I go over to that? I think my first thing that I just want to, I want to understand when photographs entered your world as a portal. That would be a good place to start.
1: Sure thing. Well, I mean, like uh, everybody of, of my age, 19, I was born in 1958. You know, it was, uh, uh, it was a different world there. especially if you had uh, uh, if two things, uh, if you had a dad like mine, who was always, always conscious of the expense of everything. So if we, if we imagined going for a going somewhere, he would always factor in the cost of the petrol. Um, and similarly, with uh, with uh, uh, with taking pictures, there was always a thing that uh, now, of course, it doesn't t- cost any more to take a thousand pictures than it does to take one, but there was always that thing that it was, it was uh, um, taking pictures was something to do uh, that you did with it with a degree of kind of economy. And then you combine mm-hmm. that with the way that um, in, England, of course, the, the weather is not, not that great. And there was always this thing, even back then, in that we're not talking about the uh, the 1860s, we're talking about the 1960s. There was always this thing that the light wasn't good enough to uh, to merit taking a picture. And I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why um, one remembers one's childhood as being much better uh, weather-wise than it really was, because the... Memories are formed by photographs, which were only taken on these exceptionally uh, bright days. So there's that, there's the kind of th- that sort of, tr- that kind of thing where my sense of my childhood has been determined to a great deal by photographs of it. But mm-hmm. then more seriously, this is something I do, I'm just, you were, you were gonna quote me, and I'm now gonna do that vulgar thing of quoting myself. <laughs> I became interested in serious That's photography not by taking photographs or by looking at them, but by reading about photography. And Mm the people I read were the the ones you'd expect, the big three, if you like, Susan Sontag, Roland Barth, and very importantly, John Berger. Uh, And quite often when I was reading these people with great pleasure, um, I had really no idea about the photographers they were discussing. And back then, uh, that was more of a, uh, an issue because you couldn't just get online and then look up a, a given photographer. A particular problem with Susan Sontag's book, which famously doesn't have any images in it at all. Uh, so um, I think at that point, one of the things that was really important to me about writing about photography became clear. That is to say, that one's ability to do so was partly determined by the uh, ability to conjure the image, the unseen image, in words.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you study literature?
1: Yes, I did. I did uh, uh, English uh, at Oxford uh, in that in that really great old-fashioned way where we just plowed through everything from Beowulf to, to Beckett. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the time, I guess it's worth saying this, that all the time... Uh, there was this sort of seething discontent, and people. There was this sort of revolutionary desire to, uh, you know, to um, uh, to change this approach, to uh, to make it less canonical. And there was this thing called theory. I didn't know what it was, but it sounded exciting. Uh, but um, I, uh, the, I think, yeah, this is worth saying. Um, the course remained intact while I was there, and actually, although you know, Bart, of course, was known as a theorist. I only encountered Bart, Foucault, and people like that after I'd left university, and I certainly didn't do any kind of postgrad work. So I encountered them as re as writers rather than as part of some kind of institutional program of uh, of study. Um, and I think what happened is that. Um, at that time of my life, just after I after I'd graduated, a whole new way of being of writing became available, exemplified by Bart and Berger, which combined the critical and the creative, which was both imaginative and also a form of uh, a form of commentary.
0: That's great. Do you think there's a term for that?
1: Well, uh, there is, and actually, as yes, it. Um, as it turns out, I coined it uh, in my book about jazz, which came out, uh, I think, in, in the early 90s. I think I mm-hmm. said in that, you know, I'd like to, I regard this book as a, a form of imaginative criticism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And of course, you know, as with all of these uh, revolutionary, highly original ideas, it turns out there's a long and distinguished history of this kind of thing, even before the the, the label itself uh, was uh, w- was written.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it, 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 well, once I started to outline the themes for, for this discussion, so much of it is circular and, and comes around and feeds itself, etc. Um, well, this is, um, in all of the books, and you've written several, um, this is a, a progression of what you chose to, to focus on mm. in photography, um, can you tell us how this grew for you in terms of interest or what you dove into of, yeah. the, fir- of the other books?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'll, um, the, I mean, it's one of the strange things about photography, I think. I'm very taken with this uh, phrase of Philip Lorca de Courches, you know, when he said that photography is a second language that everyone thinks they can speak. And he means that, you know, everyone thinks they can take photographs. But also, I think it applies to writing about photography. And, you know, generally when you're asked to write things for for newspapers, a degree of um, expertise is assumed. But quite often in the 1980s, 1990s, I'd be asked to write about, you know, to review a book, say, a biography of Walker Evans, a name I'd vaguely heard of. Um, and it seemed to me there was this kind of idea that yes, anyone can write about photography. So it was a, a thing where the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the bar for entry was set quite low. So I did quite a lot of that. And of course, as I wrote more about photography, i learned a bit more about it, became more interested in it. But then the really important thing happened. I was asked to, um, to get involved in this book about, uh, that was being prepared at the Center for Documentary Studies down in North Carolina, in Durham, mm-hmm. about the forgotten uh, and uh, forgotten photographer, William Gedney, uh, who uh, d- died of AIDS during the, the great AIDS epidemic. And um, then he bequeathed his work to Lee Friedlander. And there was a project from the Center for Documentary Studies to, to do a monograph of, of, of Gedney and sort of rehabilitate him. And so I went there and it was great. And that's when I became really conscious of how much I didn't know about the history of photography uh, because so many people there did. And that was a wonderful thing to become involved with. And uh, I think we did successfully, um, retrospectively, insert Gedney into the kind of pantheon of perhaps not, not really great, but certainly very, very important photographers. Anyway, after that, and we're, we're in the kind of, uh, I guess, the late 90s now, then I started to think, I really want to learn a lot about the his- history of photography. And I certainly knew by then that the best way of learning about any subject is to write a book about it. Uh, and so... Um, I ended up writing this book which is in the middle of your frame here the ongoing moment which is a, a, a sort of a very a highly unusual history of of photography and it's the record of how I um how I came to possess the qualifications necessary to embark on a book like this because by the end of the book I was certain by the end of writing the book I certainly was uh, properly qualified to uh, to, to, to do so. And um, uh, I'll just say two more things about it because they seem to me to be continually important. Um, one is this issue, uh, you know, which we can condense really simply, you know, who by what of? That is to say, is a photograph t- defined by who took it or what it shows? And, you know, the answer, to, uh, well, both apply. but. Um, the, the thing is that um, then it becomes incredibly interesting if you've got a picture say by Paul Strand of um, of someone else who's a, who's a photographer you know if you've got a, 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 if you've got a photograph by Paul Strand well it's by Paul Strand but it's of Stieglitz oh well that's uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of important. And I became conscious of the the kind of ongoing dialogue uh, Mm -hmm. between different photographers. Um, And I realized that one way of addressing this idea of who by what of was to look at the way that different photographers had photographed the same thing. Mm -hmm. And um, you could see through time, certain photographs would photograph something partly because of the thing itself, but also partly because, I mean, many photographers are very conscious of the tradition of photography. They would realize, ah, oh, yes, this is I'm going to, you know, this is going to be partly. This isn't going to be just a photograph of a white fence that I'm taking. It's also going to be partly a kind of visual essay on the famous Paul Strand image. So that's uh, that's that's how I went. Uh, that's how I went uh, uh, about that, and it was. Uh, it was a real joy, joy to do. And, um, yeah, that, that was that. I don't know. I'll, I'll pause there in case you want to, uh, ask anything else before we move on to the brand.
0: No, no, just that, that I, I think it's really wonderful to hear your journey in your words, hmm. because it's, you're very expansive and, um, there are many books that you've, Written in between the books that you've written, specific to photography. So I was trying to pull that thread through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, uh, but you know, that book sort of established me as somebody who, among other things, uh, wrote about photography. And as a result of that, I got asked to do to sort of to do more things uh, uh, to write more things about photography. But something that was unusual that happened is that typically when I'd finished writing a book about a given subject, my interest in it came to an end. So, for example, I wrote that book about jazz called But Beautiful. And after that, I really lost interest in jazz for, a, for many years. I was fantastically interested in the Great War and I wrote my book about it. And then, you know, really uh, that found out what I needed to about the, the First World War. But with photography, that didn't happen. Uh, I'd written, written this book, The Ongoing Moment, and partly because there was still so much about photography for me to learn, and because um, it was a phase when photography was becoming more and more interesting, it seemed to me, that I became... I mean, it wasn't a sort of... It wasn't like with the publication of the book, that was over. It remained... A, a, an on, Appropriately enough, it remained an ongoing interest. Mm-hmm. And then at some point... <clears throat> Um, uh, I'd reviewed this uh, book by John Sarkarsky, uh, you know that colossally important uh, curator of photography at MoMA, who sort of whose curatorial choices really defined the the, the landscape of, uh, of photography. In fact, he was one of the early early promoters of, of, of William Gedney, but then Gedney kind of dropped out of sight. Anyway, uh, there was this book that uh, he published in about, I forget the year now, but he was a great expert on Aceh, he'd been working at, he prepared a number of really sort of important scholarly volumes. But then in, let's say, in the early, early this century, he published this book that was so simple in conception. It was, um, uh, it was about Aceh, and on each recto page, there would be an image, and on the verso page, there'd be a short essay. 300 words, something like that, 100 images. And it's a great book. I mean, it's an amazing book because he has such a deep knowledge of Ajay. But also, it turns out, Sarkowski is uh, a really, uh, really accomplished writer, a great stylist, I think. And there was a kind of casualness about this book, uh, but it was informed by this, you know, oceanic knowledge of Aceh and photography. And I just really loved it. And, Mm. you know, I really liked that form so much that I I really wanted to do a version of that book. And that sort of simmered away as as something I might do. Uh, But I could never think of anyone that I might do it about. I just really couldn't. Anyway, and then in whatever year it was, I was teaching at the Michener Center in Texas. And uh, I had lunch with this guy from the Texas University Press who I'd written uh, some sort of introduction to something that he published. Uh, and he's quite a sort of, he's quite a he didn't waste a lot of time with sort of charm and foreplay or anything. He just said, I know what your next book's going to be. I had no idea at all <laughs> what my next book was going to be. And he said, he reminded me that uh, of something I'd said in an interview with Janet Malcolm actually about wanting to do a version of that Hatchet book and he said i've uh, I've procured permission from the Center for Creative Photography in Tucson to reproduce a hundred images by Gary Winogrand. you know, do you want to do it?" And it was just incredible because of course I wanted to do it mm-hmm. uh, and not only was it did I want to do it? It was so obvious that Winogrand had been the choice all along, you know, because I was so fascinated by Winogrand. And like many people, I wanted to see more of the, you know, more of what was going on in that great pharaoh's tomb of an archive. So I almost kind of reached across to shake hands there and there, but he blew it at the last moment by saying there'll be a modest fee, whereupon I quickly snatched my hand back and uh, let my agent uh, negotiate a uh, 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 Slightly less modest fee, but uh, that was uh, in. I mean, that was a really, really um, yeah. That was just a wonderful thing. It was a great experience. Partly because I got to spend time in the archive, and then we'll talk later. I hope about the, mm. the finished product, the kind of books. You know how how these uh, you know these combinations of words and image end up as books, and
2: mm-hmm. is
1: the Winterground book is so incredibly beautiful
0: okay so mm. was that. that's excellent thank you for that and you're it's interesting I thought of uh, something when you were mentioning I went to the center for creative photography and it was there that I discovered how I didn't know enough about the western history of photography or through western eyes and I I literally realized I was not only eastern focused having been uh, lived there and studied there. I was European focused, uh-huh. so when I went anywhere, I went in that direction, and I didn't go west. Um, so it was very interesting, right, to see what 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 we don't know. Um, in reference to seesaw, how did it come about for you to look at photographs in this way? What what how did this come to be this particular book?
1: Oh yeah. Um- this is about every every 10 years, I tend to publish a collection of essays uh, on various subjects. And I was aware that in 2020, uh, 20, uh, 20, you know, I was due to do, to do my third sort of volume of that. When I looked at the folder, I saw, God, there was almost, I'd, I thought, God, I've written so little in the last decade, I must be losing it. And then I realized the reason why that was such a a slim folder is because I'd kept another folder of stuff I'd been written on, been writing on photography in the last ten years, and that was huge. So I realised that um, yeah, I had been writing plen- plenty, but less than ever about about literature and more about photography. So I had a look and saw oh, there's easily enough for a, for for a book here of things I have written. So the question then was really just um, well, uh, there was what to include. And it seemed to yeah. me a condition of of uh, of entry was that the piece had to be have some kind of interest over and above uh, the interest in the person it was about. It had to raise some more mm. more general essay uh, more more general issues. Um, and then also there was the question then of how to arrange it, and it became uh, it became. Obvious that the least worst way of going about things was to just arrange not by um, the order in which I'd written things, but the order of the photographers I was writing about, so that it um, emerged as um, a kind of very very uh, partial uh, history of photography, a kind of companion volume to go alongside the ongoing moment, which dealt overwhelmingly with canonical figures, and this dealt with some of the with people who had been. Uh, left out so for example in whichever year it was when somebody said did I want to write an introduction to a book of uh, Alvin Langdon Coburn I said yes immediately because I was very conscious that I hadn't even I'd barely mentioned him in the ongoing moment so so he's there Uh, and also I should say that the ongoing moment stopped really uh, with people born in about 1958 and the emphasis in there's a lot more uh, stuff in seesaw about uh, people who've uh, emerged since then. So it also, uh, effectively, it helps bring that earlier book up to date. But the, the crucial thing to 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 sort of say is that it's um, it's a collection of uh, of of, of uh, essays. Um, it's like a, a kind of um, yeah. It's it's an anthology of my own stuff, rather than something conceived with a. Um, with, with some overarching um, idea in mind, but I wanted it to have some sort of formal shape.
0: Mm-hmm. So interesting because now that you mentioned that, the idea that um, that you were being driven by the material asking more nuanced, layered, Questions or explorations beyond the the individual. That's why I think there's a bit of a cacophony when you dive into it at once because you are raising these issues and then you're raising all these ways people are uh, thinking. That's where phenomenology came into it. I mean, I was really grappling like this is this it's that level of thinking about thinking, um, and observation, but we're observing ourselves and this interiority and exteriority. And that's why it's, it's just incredibly rich. And I was introduced to people that I did not know about, which was really fun. Um, and included in my, in my, um, PDF are some of the people that you led me to because I thought that was fun to show you that that in addition to having to like look at the people that you introduced me to then you talked about how their work sparked ideas of yours and then I had to go look at what that person was about so um that was really fun and then I just pulled out really um short quotes from the book but there were ones that just stood out for me um this idea nothing is hidden everything is withheld um and I think now in hindsight that you've given me that clue that you were purposely raising these questions um or layering them that's what I kept getting right was this thinking about the portal of photography um
1: you know what now that you know You'd seem to, uh, I'm I'm actually having to cheat. I'm having to look at my book to see who oh, I let's see who that,
0: that was in. There. Okay, I'll oh, raise you.
1: Yeah, oh Luigi yeah, in my yeah.
0: notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my notes, I, I referenced that, but on <laughs> here I didn't. Yeah, which is your cover artist. Yeah,
1: for, the, yeah. for the for the British edition, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truly uh, beautiful. And and so one of the things when I was coming up with um, thematically, in my mind, it was interesting because you did give us a frame in terms of the photographers you wrote about and then um, how you layered it. I had to kind of take it like an accordion and and I went through it in in order. I read from front to back. But then I had you know, you had me going in so many different directions. And then really the challenge was to wrestle it into my own understanding Mm. which was really fun. And so that's why I've very much mixed up the chronology of the book and who you're talking about and what you're talking about. But it was like, it's because I was really trying to get my own Mm. wrap around it, which was really fun. Um,
1: A a very appropriate response, because one of the the, the sort of tropes or main figures that I look at in uh, the ongoing moment is that Figure who crops up repeatedly in the history of photography, the blind accordion player. <laughs> so yeah, I like the way you've uh, you, you you've taken up that uh, you've taken up that
0: that metaphor and yeah, yeah analogies. I'm 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 big on that. But so what, one of the things that I'd love to open up is just this idea that um, you quote uh, Barton describing images that pass through the filter of culture, mm. and of course we're in such a rapidly changing culture, uh, the, the globalization of thought, also the, the plethora of sharing of imagery. It's become the language in which we predominantly speak. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about that landscape.
1: Yeah. it's. Um... Uh, Actually, just rephrase it. Rephrase the question slightly, if you reformulate it, if you could, Sybilla. Then
0: I'll sure that given that that I think it is a truism that images are seen through the prism of culture. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We're in a time of swift cultural change, so any of your thoughts on where where we are? when you were talking about uh, the canon that um, MoMA basically opened the door of, or was the major uh, foundational, this is what photography is about and here's who's doing it. And that is really being challenged that that canon is actually reflective of what was going on at that time and Mm -hmm. certainly not what's going on at our time. So we're in a, we're in, we're in a changing, changing landscape mm-hmm. and it's more rapidly changing than I think we have time to actually consider. So I'm thinking about the impact and asking you about the impact of the cultural import as we read images yeah. or how, like we've become a sophisticated visual culture.
1: Hmm. Yeah, it it's funny because I said that I'd, uh, with seesaw I thought I'd sort of update, I'd, I'd sort of brought my thoughts about photography up to date by, uh, you know, including people I hadn't written about in the ongoing moment. But it, it, it occurs to me that uh, I'm still absolutely not at the forefront of discovering things. So these are not essay, I've got no curatorial ax to grind or I'm not even, you know, I'm not particularly up to date on things. So it seems to me that, say, someone like uh, David Campany, who, uh, who, who I know, now he is really, he's really uh, very aware of what's going on and he's deciding what he thinks needs to be promoted or all of this kind of stuff. And I'm kind of the next, uh, uh, so he's, in, he's really in the frontline trenches do, doing that. You know, uh, I'm in the several trenches behind whereby I'm at the mercy of what he is shoveling my way. Um, so I'm not discovering uh, new things. Uh, and nearly always the people I've become interested in have come through some kind of, um, some sort of selective filtering. So mm-hmm. I'm not a configurer of the uh, the photographic landscape at all. I'm just somebody mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, is interested in, in what comes to me. And in another very important way, I'm not at all exposed to what's going on because, as we were saying just before we came on air, because I'm not on uh, Twitter mm-hmm. or um, Instagram or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to only hear about what's going on because, say, a friend of mine who is on, on Instagram has uh, said, oh, you've really got to look, has emailed me and said, oh, you've got to look out for, for this person. So uh, all of the, the uh, I'm somebody who is in receipt of the reconfigured landscape rather than somebody who is uh, in the process of, of, of reconfiguring it. So my approach remains a rather old fashioned one, especially since what I like doing, as I mentioned this in the book, you know, I still, of course, I go to exhibitions, well, I used to go to exhibitions back in the days when when we did. But yeah, my ideal way of looking at photographs just from photographs remains, you know, lying on my sofa, looking at, looking at books that have come into my possession, which again is a sign of how far from the frontline action I really am.
0: Well, I love your description of the frontline action. So I didn't, uh, what, I, what I guess I'm, I, I could rephrase my question because I do not think of you as someone who is describing the frontline action. I think of you as tossing the idea of what photography can say about, what photography can say, number one, and then what it can say about us Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, going back all the way to uh, Walter Benjamin, calling photography uh, an optical unconscious. Oh, yeah. Like oh. so, that idea of I would like your thoughts on on how photography is this mirror of sorts.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's it's a mirror. But oh yes, well now, oh once again we come. I keep coming back to Sarkowski always. So that exhibition of his. I'm very poor on date, but it was called I think mirrors and windows. I think,
0: mm-hmm. and there
1: is this idea, yeah, the photographer of course is offering a sort of mirror reflecting on the world that's there, but then there's this idea of it being a window also. So, in a figure like uh, Walker Evans, and I'm conscious that in any discussion of photography, one is always coming back to, to Walker Evans, not 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 surprisingly. I mean, there's that thing, OK, there's the world of America out there and his pictures kind of mirror it. Uh, but on the other hand, in a weird way, he sort of created it in that, you know, would we have been conscious of it? Would we have seen this world were it not for, for his photographs? So I think this, is the, uh, this, is, this remains a very uh, sort of ongoing issue of great importance on photography. He Couldn't have photographed this stuff were it not already out there but mm-hmm. in a weird way, we wouldn't have been aware it was out there had it not been for him creating these pictures. And that rolls on, I think, that kind of argument, because the same uh, can be said about someone like uh, Andreas Gursky. So we're all the time now finding ourselves in these Gursky-like places. Mm-hmm. But would we have recognised them as such were it not for those, those Gursky uh, photographs? So I think, yeah, that's the thing that photography in a, in all sorts of ways is creating uh, the landscape that we are all that we're unconsciously in, inhabiting and then once we become conscious of it then some some additional uh, change uh, change takes place
0: mm-hmm. wow thank you i'm trying to write that down because that is really quotable and very true and you refer to it uh more than once um you you talked about the dusseldorf school mm-hmm. and how that generated this intentional and globalized style and then i love that you you made a reference oh wait i think i have it here um because it was a quote and i just loved it where you were saying let me see i've got it Oh, yeah, around it was Vivian Mayer and how she happened upon Arbusian subjects before Arbus.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. Yes. Right.
0: So that idea of one talking to the other um, is so, so interesting. Um, and let me just I, I've got I've got my own notes and I've got some of the images Um This is Helen Levitt, which you speak of um, in the book. Uh, And it's interesting, too, because, okay, now I'm going to make my own connection. But if you're looking at this and then you look at what you were talking about when you referred to um, Alex Webb's work, there's a correlation almost, right, of this. What we're looking at and how we're looking at it.
1: Sure thing. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, that kind of, uh, this is, yeah, it's interesting. You say that Sybilla because so often in, uh, in Alex Webb, you've got this thing of, uh, well, here it is. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the mirror that's also a window, uh, which is uh, the frame within the frame and it's uh, mm-hmm. a world within the world. Oh, yeah. what, what Alex Webb, I mean, this is, I mean, this, isn't it? It's funny. You see this Alex, this, uh, Helen Levitt picture. And we've all yeah. seen it hundreds of times before. But as soon as you see it again, you just get that absolute joy. And like, oh my God, isn't that just so great. And the way that it remains, even yeah. now that we've seen it, it remains so mysterious with this strange character in the white behind the, the bare chested kid holding the the, the the mirror frame. There's so yeah. much going on in it. in it, And it's just, yeah, it's an absolute masterpiece. There's so much going on in it. But my God, there's so much more going on uh, uh, compositionally in an Alex Webb picture yeah. because we have that extra ingredient of colour. And we, oh yeah, there we are. Yeah, and of course, quite often with Alex Webb, we never quite, you know, we never quite know whether we're seeing a reflection or, um, or a, a portal into another world. And that's mm-hmm. why I love that. They're so complicated that I love my friend, Dianita Singh's description <laughs> of Alex Webb's work as migraine photographs. Absolutely, it's what. Uh, me, my migraine
0: photographs. Yes, yes,
1: yes, <laughs> yes. Migraine-inducing photographs. Whereas this still has that kind of, uh, you know, it, it's uh, it's still got that beautiful un-migrainy. Uh, un, it's still got that. It's got that beautiful lyricism that Helen <laughs> never is famous for.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I honestly, even in all the thinking I've been doing about the people that you were having me look at and, and consider, I hadn't made that analogy till right now, um, in terms of those two. But uh, yeah, that's so fun to think about. Um, Again, just pulling quotes and how deeply you reference and then you mirror, right, from Mm. another medium, uh, an added layer uh, to us, if the door of perception, the doors of perception were cleansed. Everything would appear to man as it is infinite. Interestingly, because you, you also were talking in other instances about eternity. So we've got infinity and eternity. Like you really did unpack very, uh, big questions. Um,
1: yes, I think I can't take too much credit for quoting that though, since, uh, you know, it was uh, handed to us first by Aldous Huxley and then, of course, by uh, by Jim Morrison and the Doors. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty, uh, that's, uh, yeah, it's a pretty easily accessible... Uh, um,
0: well, I'm not sure. I think you're... you're um, what's accessible to you is not <laughs> commonplace, let's put it <laughs> that way. Um, oh, I'm yeah. envious of those friends of ours in Paris being able to see the Vivian Mare exhibit uh, at the museum to Luxembourg. Um, I love something. And this made me think of, um, Vivian Mayer, let me see if I can do, yeah, your quote on her, how that she has the quality of visual echo, a series of echoes that serves the useful purpose of questioning the ways in which photographic identity and style more closely bound up with content than any other medium are established and defined. So I love that again, that idea of, um, that thing of photography that is a medium that lets us get into that place uh, of identity um, and content and belonging and as you reference often memory and this kind of paradoxical um,
1: yeah and uh, I think it's so interesting this Vivian Meyer kind of thing of identity because of course Uh, for ages she didn't have any identity even you know there was just this kind of mass of of material Mm -hmm. and then what's happened so yeah I'll just say something about this so I was asked to write this forward for this you know not particularly significant book uh uh, it seemed anyway so you know I really liked what I saw knew nothing about Vivian Meyer and then Mm -hmm. after the book came out of course then this Vivian Meyer phenomenon (sighs) occurred and uh that's why I added a little asterisk in the, uh, it saying you know just bear in mind this was the foreword to the very first
0: book mm-hmm. about
1: Vivian uh, you know before all the films and all and now we know a great deal about her and all of this kind of stuff, but I think it's I mean she's a an extreme example of something that I, I think is uh, re, is an ongoing and perpetually interesting thing about photography, the way that in the 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 sort of literary canon remains pretty pretty stable, really. You know, and occasionally, you know, you get something, there's a sort of somebody, the, the, somebody's importance gets kind of uh, increased. But the history of photography is all the time being rewritten to the extent that, I mean, I, I did know this guy, he did this, he did a, a discography of Miles Davis and he was very proud of the way that he'd done this. And it was printed as a book, but it was becoming, it was obsolete the moment it was published because new Miles Davis recordings were being released the whole time. Now, photography is not quite as, um, as extreme as that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, any, you know, the the sort of the uh, a significant, any um, history of photography now will have to include a significant chapter on, that, a significant part on um Vivian Meyer, and particularly you know the the cha- any chapter on color photography that is constantly being revised as it turns out oh a lot of people were doing uh, color pre eggleston you know it's not, uh, mm-hmm. not that straightforward uh, thing where color photography began with eggleston's guide at, 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 at moma so mm-hmm. i find that's one of the reasons why photography is so endlessly stimulating not because of what's going to be going on today or tomorrow but because mm-hmm. of the retroactive um, uh, a reassessment of what was going on in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or, or whatever.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that idea. I'm looking at my notes here because you, you do reference that in terms of the history being rehashed, right, and reconsidered. Um, here it is, yeah, the updating, rehashing, reordering. Of, of the history of photography. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, I think it's Odette England who calls that uh, the slippery slope of photography. Oh, yeah. yeah. I can't remember
1: um, what said about either. One, five, I have to look at 145.
0: Oh, who are you talking about? I, it's so funny when I transcribe my notes. So I have written notes that were like many pages, then I brought it into a Word document, then I moved it around. So 145. I either have to go to the book or to um...
1: I think it seems to be in the essay about Alex Webb. but I can't. Yeah,
0: I think it is. Oh, you know what? And it's yeah. And then because, as I said, you had me going, of course, I had to pick up the copy and go through this and think about it. So it, that essay is from the afterward of this book. Yeah. 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 Yep so many different descriptions of photography this is one of the ways in which you led me on a wild goose chase which was wonderful but Mm. right this was from dennis hopper when you were writing about dennis hopper you referenced this image so
1: completely forgotten
0: (laughs) you kept me very busy (laughs) (laughs) and i love like i had not i was not familiar with this image
1: yeah, uh, do you know? I've uh so it just, this is a picture of or by Dennis Hopper?
0: No, it's referenced and it's in my notes. Hold on, I'll find it. Because um, I don't know the photographer offhand. Hang on. Um, let's see if I can get you that info. Yeah. Um, well, I'll circle back because I have a few more things and I realize. Here we go. I found them. I will tell you in a minute, if I can, I have many pages that I, David Hemmings with lips
1: from dreams. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's uh, David Hemmings as, uh, as uh, uh, the, from the sort of blow up era, I'm guessing.
0: Exactly. Because I put that in as a, as a reference um, yeah. or when I was thinking, when I make my own ideas of like, okay, now I want to go back and see that again. Um, yeah, exactly. That's the circle. Yeah. <laughs> and I love, love the image. And I love le- learning about Dennis Hopper. That was really, I hadn't yeah, thought I about him in that way. Yeah, he's another
1: sort of interesting case, I I think there's this, we come across these sort of actors who who take photographs, but it turns out that, uh, um, you know, of course, people were interested in a a kind of retrospective of Hopper because, you know, famous person, all this kind of stuff, but uh, I was really surprised at the high quality of, of, of uh, Hopper's photograph. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me was an important photographer in his own right, but one says that, but then it's inseparable from the world, from you know his celebrity life, because just to come back to Winogrand, I love the way that Winogrand, who has no academic uh, interest in philosophy at all, but it seems to me he keeps raising philosophically deep questions. So, you know, when he says, the thing is, you know, if you're photographing in Texas, then your photographs are going to look like Texas. Uh, you know, it seems to me he's saying something really important about photography there. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, photo, uh, Hopper's photographs are interesting and great, but one of the reasons they're great is because of the people that he's with and, the, you know, uh, you know if, if, you're, if you're living that Hollywood life, you're gonna have, your, your picture's going to look like Hollywood. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. We actually had Brian Bowen Smith on um, the photo book book group, and he is based in California and is very uh, in relationship with a lot of extremely well-known film actors. And he did something called drive-bys during the pandemic he got in his pickup truck and went across country, but he could stop at people that we would not normally consider our friends (laughs) and his friends are kind of outstanding so it's a very interesting layered uh uh book it's really it's actually a wonderful compilation um so okay now i now i'm always going back to find out who were you talking about when i Uh, took these uh, quotes okay let's see who were you talking about there um you should see my desk because i've got Oh, I think this is Danita. Oh, Dianita. Dianita. Yeah, no, yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm sorry, I wanted to include so much pieces of her work, but my represent the representations weren't uh, a good quality. Um yeah that was yeah she's one I, of
1: these uh, one of these many photographers who's uh you know there's always this sort of mirrors going on in, in there's a lot of mirrors in 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 her work but it seemed to me there was this particular kind of uh, silence or stillness in 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 her work in 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 these rooms and I think that's probably what I was referring to uh, yes
0: yeah. that, that's it is because actually that's where you reference Billy Collins' poem about the chair when oh, no one's yeah. in the chair,
2: chair right? The po-
0: yeah. So that ability to you know uh, on a on on some sense be a fly in the wall, like you're 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 there but you're not there, yeah. um, and there was something uh, you also um, in talking about Dianita, you reference back to William Henry Fox Talbot to have mm. drawn its own picture. And how she becomes invisible as if the photo took itself, the emptiness, and you refer to the chairs that no one sits in. And you were talking about the demonstration of photography's ability to depict a state of negative capacity.
1: Oh yes, God, and how funny got it. So we keep coming back to Barkowski, I think, because this I think I became conscious of chairs in photography after uh, something that he'd written in that Ache book, where he just says, You know, I think empty chairs don't mean the same thing now that they did to us before the invention of photography. Uh, because, uh, you know, I think he's talking about a picture of a cafe to empty, empty chairs on a cafe terrace taken, mm. taken in Paris. And he says, You know, this of course makes you think of the, the, the soldiers away at the, the First World War who won't come back. So there is a ex- really strong example of how photographs, by recording something, chairs actually also completely change our conception of, uh, of those things. So mm-hmm. chairs are now a kind of uh, you know they're, they're kind of very they're inevitably suggestive of of absence.
0: Yes, yes, and that's interesting because we'll get to this. I will move through uh, mm-hmm. as we mentioned that you have the afterward here. I love this uh, idea. The pictures' borders are porous, yeah. and then this is where you're talking too about the porous borders between photographers. That yes, there's that influence, um, yeah. but what's sure. so interesting, stunning. I love this work.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. That's just to go back to that thing about the poor, the borders being porous. Porous. It's me that. Uh, you know, quite often we, we have an idea of what an Alex Webb photograph is like, but then there's other people. He's, you know, let's put it like this. Alex Webb is not the only person to take Alex Webb-like photographs.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um,
1: and at the same time, you know, with most of the great photographers, think of somebody like uh, Cartier-Bresson. We all know what a Cartier-Bresson picture looks like. Mm-hmm. But there's an awful, there's a, you know, there are I mean, he's so great Cartier-Bresson. There's a lot of, there's a significant number of Cartier-Bresson pictures which don't look at all like they were taken by him.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's, a, mm-hmm. You, you know,
1: Cartier-Bresson, when he was in America, he did his versions of Edward Weston's and, you know, anyway, it's a, it's a very, it's, it remains this perennially interesting thing about what it is that, de- that defines a photograph of mm-hmm. as being by, by somebody, because, uh, you know, well, it, it's, uh, you know, you could get, you know, it, you, we, we can all think of examples where uh, several photographers have photographed exactly the same incident at the same time. And then you think, okay, well, what well, you know, what is it that distinguishes that, that makes makes this a photograph by X rather mm-hmm. than Y, even though they seem to be pretty well uh, of the same thing at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. This was new to me. I did not know of Oliver Curtis.
1: No, uh, nor did I. I mean, I got to know of him as the cinematographer on uh, Joanna Hogg's film, Unrelated. Hmm. And like all these sort of directors of photographer, photography, mm-hmm. you know, he's always travelling around the world to to shoot, you know to work on films. And then while mm-hmm. he was doing this, he just had this lovely idea of this thing which he calls a vault fast, mm-hmm. where um, he... Photographs, a very famous place. In this case, the Taj Mahal, not from the point of view of those looking at it, but from the point of view of the thing that is looked at. And so you have this uh, uh, this totally defamiliarizing thing. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just a really, really. um, uh, I mean, quite often I'm rather unsympathetic to these projects that photographers do. That they're going to. I don't know. You know. I'm going to. I'm going to take a picture of every bench on the on the on the road from Boston to uh, you know to 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 New York or something, and that just seems uh, okay. You know, yeah, you can get the funding for it, sure. But it seemed to me this was a uh, this was a project that had some really interesting conceptual uh, uh, some conceptual underpinning, and yes. more importantly, it. Opened a door for some conceptual discoveries about mm-hmm. what uh, about our relationship to these sites mm-hmm. of uh, of great interest, and mm-hmm. also crucially, um, this is another thing I feel about these conceptual things: uh, the results are really pleasing in in and of themselves, mm-hmm. even when uh, stripped of the, even if you saw this and had no idea where it was or what it was part of, it would still be a, a really uh, arresting image. In
0: Absolutely. Ride, I think. Yeah, no arresting. And I mean, it's why it's in my PDF. Oh, yes. I mean, it's just stunning. I have mm-hmm. another reference uh, that is doing the same. Let's see if we can uh, go through. So this is again, we are going back to Winogrand and talking about form and content and how to how to how to balance those. But this is another reference to what you were just speaking of, right? In terms of a conceptual Layering of a concept.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you a little bit bit about this mm-hmm. if I can. Then, so mm, please. It was um, I have this friend in Italy who said, "Do you want to come to Naples?" And uh, we're going to see this great, you know, there's this work, this show of um, photographs by a woman called Elisa Sigacelli, who I'd never heard of. So I went for my normally, uh, you know, low motives. In that he said, you know, he said it's a expenses-free trip, and you don't have to write anything about it. You know, it was, great. <laughs> it, was it was the ultimate free trip because most free trips have a have a catch. So it was really great and. The only thing was that we were going to go to this exhibition by this photographer, and I thought, oh, God, a photographer droning on about her work, you know? Okay, well, still, you know, Naples is great. Anyway, we go there, and it turns out that the show was absolutely great, really spectacular, and the photographer, Elisa Sicicelli, talked about her work very, very modestly, and it was so interesting what she was doing, which was this, that she'd gone to the uh, archaeological museum in Naples. And then she'd photograph bits of these sculptures and uh, the, um, the and she sort of photographed them. So this, just looking at this now, I and mean, I think there's this wonderful thing where, my God, she's really made this piece of sculpture come alive. It, it's an incredibly erotically charged photograph of a bit of sculpture. But then she did something <coughs> which was extremely interesting. The mm-hmm. photograph you can't quite see it here but it's actually printed on the same material out of which the sculpture is made that is to say travertine marble or whatever it would, what, anyway it's printed on stone so technologically it's quite a quite an achievement and so there was this thing whereby the 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 uh, the, the work the, the the sculpt the photograph was uh, was itself an example a further sort of development of the process from which this figure had been carved from the stone, so It was a kind of return to the source. And this is just one, there were a whole load of them. And they were all really, uh, they were really powerful. And in almost every case, I found the photographs far more interesting than I did the, uh, when we went to the Archaeological Museum, far more interesting than the sculptures from which they'd been plucked. Anyway, so it was one of these things. And then um, I guess the other thing about photography for me, it's not some area of academic study. It's all part of just lived experience. Mm-hmm. Naples is an amazing place anyway. And then we went to various other things and we ended up um, at this place in one of the sort of uh, sort of, uh, poor slum, not exactly slum, but a very poor ghetto-like area of, uh, of Naples where there were these amazing um, shrines to Diego Maradona. Yeah. And um, it was this, it was a weekend where just these things came together. So I think this whole notion of of spirit and flesh became, it just, it was the, the, the totality of the experience. So it ended mm-hmm. up being both about this wonderful, uh, I wrote something uh, about this wonderful art, which was for me indistinguishable from the, really intense experience of being in 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 naples so Mm -hmm. it was one of those things because i wasn't obliged to write something about it then i felt a great compulsion to uh to to, to write about it
0: i wholeheartedly appreciate you introducing me to her work and this level of concept development is exactly what i work on i write on what i do that Mm -hmm. whole ability that she went in to the innate objects and then to print on the stone. I mean, it was just brilliant, brilliant. So I have a couple more things and then I'm gonna open this up. Um, you mentioned this already, how what is photographed is changed by being photographed. And I love that we're, we're going into um, Chloe Dewey Matthew's work because that again, references back to what you had spoken of before uh, this idea of, well, time and place and the porousness mm. the the history um it, really interesting do you want to say just a little bit about the work the body of work is yeah. incredible
1: so uh, yeah here we have a lovely sort of idyllic you know arcadian scene really nice in in, in france or maybe mm-hmm. belgium and it turns out that uh, it's well, it's it's from Chloe Du Matthews' series, Shot at Dawn, where where she goes to these landscapes where um uh in during the First World War, um a soldier was executed for for uh, really for desertion or, or cowardice. I mean, often now we would realize they were suffering some sort of post-traumatic stress. But anyway, so she goes to this place uh where where this um uh, you know where this event had happened, and she takes a photograph of 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 where of where where it occurred, and then. Uh, so I mean, so here we have this beautiful landscape, and we should say that, you know, of course, the First World War, that ribbon of destruction. This is for all along the Western Front; everything was destroyed, and now it's very very beautiful. But within that you know, appalling, apocalyptic destruct, destruct, uh, thing of destruction. There'd be these little things where this sort of quieter um, act of violence took place. And what she does, I think, is raise this question of, well, could it be, does the landscape itself remember? The landscape mm-hmm. itself, which has recovered. Um, and then uh, the conceptual link, I think, that has to be made is to Joel Sternfeld's On This Site where he photographs really innocuous looking uh, places. And then in a caption explains that this is where some atrocity took place. In, in, they're, they're nearly all in America, his photographs. So it's this idea of the way that the photograph of a, of a landscape can become, um, uh, becomes itself a, a memorial to, mm-hmm. to, to something that, that has happened.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, you're making me think, I don't have an example. I have one more of um, Chloe's from uh, Dawn at Dusk. Um, it's after this quote, bears witness essentially to his own subjectivity. This is another yes. Uh, yes. Chloe. And um, as I said, I don't have an example, but it is the work um, Fate um, oh, Pavel. It's Pavel Maria.
1: Yeah, I think you pronounce I mean, You might pronounce it you know. Maria Schmeichel, and um, he does a really interesting thing. Yeah, of, um, uh, he takes these really famous photographs. So, for example, you know Rosenthal's image of Marines raising the flag on Iwo Jima, or Kappa's image of uh, um, the uh, uh, soldier in the sea during the Normandy landings, or the Tiananmen Square tank. And what he does is he removes uh, he removes all the thing, digitally removes all the things from the images that identify that, that make them famous. So that you know, the Kappa, the soldier in the Normandy, the D-Day landings, all you've got there is a bit of kind of gray, blurry gray sea. But it's funny, once you've become alert to what he's doing, once you've seen one or maybe maximum of two examples, it's really interesting how quickly we can recognize and reconstruct the photograph, uh, the, original, the, the, the original photograph from something which is actually devoid of all the things that make it itself. So I think it's really interesting what he does, and you're absolutely right, Sybilla, to, to pair it with this, because here we have, yeah, the, the landscape a um, hundred years after this incident has taken place. But, you know, because of the, you know, there's that kind of, it's just, it's got a particular, obviously here, this is a very atmospheric photograph with that kind of, kind of haze, but there is something here that maybe this picture, which took, I don't know how many tenths, how many hundredths of a second to make, but what was the exposure time of this picture? Maybe the full exposure time for this picture really was 100 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a great yeah um interesting and also when we when you were writing about uh fatescapes and uh pavel's work you said um but can photography make things unhappen yes and that really caught caught my eye and then i love this uh, this is our last quote. The traffic between storyteller and metaphysics is continuous, which mm-hmm. again, that spoke to my experience of how much I dove into all that you gave us to uh, be with. Yes. This, yeah. this metaphysical, continuous um, uh, looping, um, which, uh, yeah, which I find so amazing. I, I wonder if there's... A, this is the other person that you had me go off in search oh, of. Yes. And um, um, trying to think of her name. Me too. Grove.
1: I'm the name to oh, Grove. Is it, yeah, is it Leslie Grove or? Uh, Not
0: Leslie. I'll get it in a second because that was, I was, uh, it's in the same place as where I found that other quote.
1: While you're <laughs> looking for it, uh, I'll yes. take the pressure off you, Sybilla. By go saying, ahead.
0: Yeah, this is I became. <laughs> rather interesting
1: these people who digitally adjust iconic images so i really became uh, very fascinated by that thing that michael someroff did with uh, the August sander images where he would remove mm-hmm. the 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 the, the, uh, the sander figures and we'd we'd be left only with the uh, only with uh, the the landscape in, in in the background and then mm-hmm. i know there's quite a lot of uh, people have done sort of digital alterations of uh, either Dorothea Lang in this case or, or mm-hmm. what work. And it's, so it, the woman's name is?
0: I can't find it here. I Actually, when I when I put the image in, I took it out of this list of notes. I, I want to say Grove. Um, I will find it. And it's actually in one of my tabs. Um, yes. But it was again in reference. This is what you did is that you, you led me from one person to the other. I will get that reference. And I thought of um, just two things before I open up for questions because I and I'm looking through my notes to see where I can find it. One second. Yeah, this idea of the traffic between the storyteller. Um, I, I guess what I wanted to do, because I loved the quote, and you said it's often quoted, but um, I had not come uh, to it. You introduced me to it, was the Roy um, de Carava quote, because that goes back to your writing on jazz. Um, and this this is the quote, and then we'll open up for questions. Uh, Roy uh Dikarava says, my pictures are immediate, and yet at the same time, they're forever. They present a moment, so profoundly a moment, that it becomes eternity. Mm -hmm. It's like the pole vaulter who begins his run, shoots up, then down. At the peak, there is no movement. He's neither going up nor going down. It is that moment I wait for. When he comes into equilibrium with all the life forces, the moment when a life force fuses, when all is in equilibrium, that's the eternal, that's jazz, and that's life. Yeah. I'm always
1: struck, by the way, it seems to me there's no reason at all why a photographer should be intelligent. It seems to me... (laughs) You should. You, I mean, I can't see why you can't take great pictures and still be, you know, pretty pretty much stupid. But I'm struck by the way that so many great photographers are profoundly intelligent and say these incredible, incredible things, such as that. Uh, that, uh, you know, that, that comment of the Car- Carabas that you, you yeah. read and, you know, you can think of all sorts of, like, you know, Arbus says the most, uh, the most amazing things, doesn't she? I realize I'm slightly running out of power, so I'm going to move to a different place, that would be a okay. disaster if we, if we suddenly became powerless. <laughs> yeah.
0: Believe me, I've had that happen, the entire <laughs> electricity went out once when I was mid this. Event sure. so let's um let's open up to questions. I I'm so excited to have touched on the things we have, but I'm sure other people have some questions for you as well. So I don't know Deb. I haven't looked in our chat if anyone's put any there, but people can unmute themselves and uh, join the conversation.
1: Well. Maybe- yeah. Maybe they feel we've bl- we've gone on for quite, quite long enough.
0: I don't know. I'm going to see because I thought if I can find uh, one of my tabs will give us the answer we were looking for in the woman's work that I showed. So oh, let's yeah. see if I can find it. It's Kathy Grove. That- Yay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to not credit someone. So, yeah. Is there anyone that wants to give a reflection uh, either about what we talked about, Jeff's work? Jump in.
2: Hi, I have a question or a, a thought. Oh, someone, someone put someone in the chat. So I don't want to answer
0: No, no, no. Go ahead. Hi, Larry.
2: Hi, um, I appreciate this opportunity. It's been great to hear the, the discussion. and. Um, I I I, pre, I have an affinity for Walker Evans as well as sort of being a touchstone um, in photography, and I'm interested. And, and I, it's been a while since I read um, the ongoing moment, and I just was always fascinated by his the combination of his authorship, but his also the kind of signification that that Barth would talk about, where he was always loading his photographs up with with signifiers in spite of them looking like sort of modernist um, representations at a time when it seemed like there weren't as many people thinking in the way he did. Um, and, and I didn't, I wasn't aware of that when I was in graduate school. I worked with Gary Metz, who worked with John Sierkowski and was involved in the 71 retrospective. And he told this great story. There's a wonderful photograph of all those it's taken from a window of an apartment building looking out on a wet, rainy street after the rain. And there's there's this beautiful row of black cars. And Gary commented to Walker, he said, I just love, you know, the light in that photograph. And Walker said, that's not what it's about. It's about all those cars, about industrialization, about mass production. He sort of said, no, I was interested in all that, that all the cars were the same. And this was kind of where we were heading as a country. And it really struck me that, his photographs are so laden with, with, with visual culture. And, and I wonder what you think about the way photographers work now and whether there's are still photographers who embed their images with the kind of coding that, to the degree that Walker Evans um, did. And if there, there are people who are paying attention to that, because I still think people don't recognize us in Walker Evans frequently.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I'm I'm sure there are uh, people doing that. But just to go back to to Walker Evans, that uh, you know, we we must never allow the artist to have the last word on what the pictures are about. So it seems to me, yes. I mean, there's the cars in there, but uh, but yeah, the light is amazing too, isn't it? You know, and um, you know, so I think that's the the thing that well, that's one of the many things that's so remarkable about, uh, about Walker Evans, all of these things to come together, the, the aesthetic purity of, of, of the images, plus all the stuff in them. Uh, and then the final paradoxical thing, which he was really conscious of, the way that they are, they seem almost anonymous. And as a result of, uh, and through that anonymity uh, have uh, a stylistic, uh, an, 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 an identifying stamp that is uh, as uh, recognisable as any in, in the history of photography. So there's all these kind of things. I'm rather taken by the sort of, it was one of the great sources of disappointment in Winogrand's life that uh, he never got the respect that he craved from Walker Evans. I mean, not surprisingly, in, in a way, but, you know, Walker Evans, uh, sorry, Winogrand would have the opposite kind of reaction to uh, the one you've described with Evans uh, in that he, he, there's many examples where he said, no, you're talking about meaning. I want to talk about the photographs. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's, uh, there's, uh, yeah, the um, uh, and, you know, you can. We can think uh, you think of that uh, picture of uh, famous picture of Winogrands of these three African-American women. I think it's three coming down the street and there's a guy in a wheelchair. So, I mean, what's that about? Well, it's about, you know, all sorts of economic racial stuff. But Winogrand was insistent, you know, the thing about this picture is the light. (laughs) So that would be my response to that. But I love that story, uh, Larry. Thank you very much.
2: Mm.
0: It made me think, Larry, actually, we last had on um, Bree Soders and her work 11 years. Um, I'm looking for it. Hang on one second. Oh, second. I'm tethered. <laughs> oh, and I need more bookshelves badly. Um, so we talked about this and... Um, and your comment about how photographers work now and signifiers and how signifiers are so changed. And her work is very, um, I called her a master weaver because she's someone who um, has bridged analog and digital, but is very curious and, and looking at the intersection. So I'd go back and look at this. This this is on our photo book book group archive and, and look at her work and all of her things are really fascinating, but this is one image from um, where she's actually gone into Google world or Google sphere photo. Anyway, it's basically um, this compilation of photographs taken by people in deep, deep wilderness with obviously um, digitization and to protect the person's privacy, it's, they are digitally removed, but their shadow remains.
1: Uh, yeah.
0: So if you want to talk about layered conceptualization and where we are and who we are, and we could have a long talk about about
2: all that. So that's what you just made me think of. Well, I kind of, you know, the, the, you had asked um, Jeff about sort of contemporary visual culture and, and Jeff, I appreciate your honesty about, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm reacting to things, I'm not necessarily in the stream, but I feel like getting back to Walker and sort of how photographs are imbued, it seems like the photograph itself has become the signifier oh, yeah. rather, than the, mm. rather than the gatherer of signification and I think of Penelope and Barico and people are kind of looking at what we photograph now because everyone photographs and where she gathers up all the sunsets and gathers up all the, you know, she's kind of looking at, at, at our collective creation. And I, and I think that sort of changes the economy of the image a bit. And, I, and that's a question I'm always struggling with, which is what are people willing to spend time with or are they more interested in making their own referent? And, and there's, a, there's a funny place I, I feel like we're in, not for artists necessarily, but the larger stream that, that informs what we do. But the photographs seem to say a lot about us as a culture by what, what's being made and where it gets placed.
1: Yes, indeed, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, I have to ask then, Larry, what's going on behind you? That looks rather nice. That
2: <laughs> Well, um, that's purely for my own entertainment when i've had to teach so much on zoom i got tired of my venetian blinds or my <laughs> blank wall and um and for the undergraduate students i said look you can you can you can create your own world behind you very easily now i, I don't know so that's the way i sort of uh, activate my my space even though i'm not really a landscape photographer but when presented with a nice landscape i have to take a picture
1: <laughs> yeah well so that's a picture by
2: you yes oh it's tremendous. Yeah. It's a nice spot on the nor- in the Northeast.
0: Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. I want to um, ask if I can quote you on that, uh, Larry, the idea that the photo is the signifier. I'm going to take that one sure. with that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, that's that a great- that question, it,
2: it comes up a lot when I'm trying to teach young people about photography and the history of photography. And I'm talking about, look what's within the photograph and I show them Walker Evans and try and show them the thread and then I realize a lot of what they're doing is, is is not necessarily what they're what they're putting within it in their daily lives. It's it's where they're putting them, yeah. And and mm-hmm. who they're sharing them with. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm grappling with that question a lot personally.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I think that's what actually, Jeff. Weren't we just talking about that uh, before we began? My uh, my kids are in their twenties. And I learned of um, their generation being called the cyber immersion generation and the impact that that has on uh, how they read photographs, uh, the language of photography, where it's, you know, if it isn't photographed, did it happen, mm-hmm. et cetera. Yes, yeah. 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 So in, the, in, in uh, thinking about the time, I wanna see if there's anyone else that wants to, um, oh, thank you for putting in uh, Deb. Put in the chat, Penelope. Thank you. Um, any other, any other questions or thoughts? I, I have, I have a few pages <laughs> left that we could unpack, but I, I, I won't, I won't make you um, stay on uh, to do that. But certainly, Jeff, you, you had me very uh, deep in the weeds.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Siv. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. I was I, I was looking forward to it. I knew I would enjoy it, but it, it exceeded my expectations, though. So, uh, uh, thank terrific! You. Thank you, Deb, and thank you all for uh, for being part of this.